Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of professionally-led cancer support services in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Now, if you've ever listened to the show, you've probably heard me say that there are over 12 million cancer survivors living in the U.S. today, uh, really more than ever uh, before in our history. Uh, about 1.5 more people will be, 1.5 million more people will be diagnosed with cancer this year alone. Um, most of us will be touched by a cancer diagnosis sometime within our life through a family member, friend, a colleague living with the disease. And uh, with survivorship rates increasing, individuals uh, living post-cancer will need to focus focus on areas that really do impact their quality of life. Um, At the top of this list, and too often avoided, is the topic of sexuality. It's no secret that open discussion of sexuality and sexual needs continues to be really an uncomfortable topic among many patients, uh, their families, and the healthcare community. Um, But studies and survivor stories demonstrate just how strong the link is between the cancer experience and sexual health. So you know our show is called Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and that's exactly what we are going to be doing today. We're going to face this topic of cancer and sexuality head on. But before we dive into the discussion, I want to take a moment to review some of the facts. So what do we know uh, about sexuality and cancer? We know that many types of cancer and and cancer treatments are associated with sexual dysfunction. Um, Estimates of sexual dysfunction after various cancer treatment range from 40 uh, to even 100%. Uh, sexual dysfunction can arise from physical and, and psychological factors and in turn can lead to psychological and personal challenges, things like depression, things like anxiety, barriers to intimacy. Um, and the most common sexual problems for people with cancer are a loss of desire for, for sexual activity in both men and women, uh, erectile dysfunction in men, and pain with intercourse uh, in women, which is reported to us. So, um, And we want to emphasize that if left unaddressed, Sexual issues may persist, and they can worsen as one continues to, uh, to live a cancer-free life and really move into survivorship. So in the next hour, you will hear from three wonderful guests about their varied, varied experiences with cancer and sexuality. Uh, first, we have Tamika Felder. Uh, Tamika was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2001. She is the founder of Tamika and Friends, Inc., a nonprofit organization dedicated to raising about cervical cancer. Welcome, Tamika. Thank you so much for having me and discussing this important topic. 
Absolutely. We are uh, also pleased to be joined by Dr. Leslie Shover, a very good friend of the cancer support community. Dr. Shover is a clinical psychologist with a special interest in sexual problems and infertility-related distress after cancer. Since 1999, Dr. Shover has been a faculty member at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, where she is currently professor of behavioral science. She is the author of 85 peer-reviewed journal articles, 27 book chapters, and four books as well as patient education booklets on cancer and sexuality for the American Cancer Society. Welcome, Dr. Shover. It's great to be here with you. And finally, we are joined by Jennifer Sinclair. Jennifer serves as the program director of the Cancer Support Community of Greater Lehigh Valley. Jennifer holds a master's degree in counseling psychology from Temple University in Philadelphia. And as program director, Jennifer oversees the organization's programming as well as facilitates support groups for people affected by cancer. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So as you can see, we've got a great a great group of guests on the show on this very important topic, so we are going to jump in. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Leslie Shover. Um, What are uh, the most common sexual problems seen in men and women after cancer treatment, and and are there particular cancer treatments that tend to create a higher rate of sexual problems? Let's uh, start to get to the heart of this topic. Well, you just um, did a great job of naming the most common ones, desire in men and women, erection problems in men, and in women, especially the effects of getting into an abrupt and uh, premature menopause, which can include vaginal dryness leading to a lot of pain and discomfort with, with sexual activity. And... You know, some of the most common treatments are the ones aimed at the pelvis, pelvic surgery in men in particular, like radical prostatectomy or radical cystectomy or surgery for rectal cancer, um, and also radiation to the pelvic area. But in women, chemotherapy, especially in younger women, that throws them into menopause is a a high um, treatment that, that creates a high risk for sexual problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Shriver, what about what about body image? Is that can that be a contributing factor in in cancer related sexual dysfunction? Well, certainly, and I, I don't want to minimize the you know distress that changes in physical appearance or just yes. the the sense of the stigma of having cancer can cause. But I think body image is sometimes overemphasized mm-hmm. because really what we see are the treatments that mess up hormones and nerves and blood vessels that you Mm. need to function sexually. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, is a bigger factor. Mm -hmm. Uh, So really a combination of of physical and psychological and emotional factors um, that are are contributing to these problems. But the the physical factors can be very intense, is what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Tamika, tell us about your own personal cancer experience. When... Um, were you diagnosed with with cervical cancer? What was your your course of treatment? Take us back to that time. I was diagnosed at age 25 in 2001 with advanced cervical cancer, and it turned my life upside down. And I wasn't thinking about sexuality, but because of my quality of life and sexual health after my cancer diagnosis, I do think it's something very important that we should be talking about. Um, my course of treatment was I had a radical hysterectomy followed by external radiation and chemotherapy. So I experienced the things that Dr. Shover is talking about, the vaginal dryness and everything else. Um, and being thrown into menopause at such an early 
age is difficult. It's difficult emotionally, and it's definitely difficult physically. So, um, Tamika, what? So, tell us more about what the sexual side effects have been uh, of your uh, the, your cancer experience. I know that. You know, obviously, we're going into some pretty deep issues, some 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 personal issues, and so again, I think it's just um, I appreciate everybody being on the call today and really addressing this this uh, head on. Talk to us a little bit more about kind of how it affected your quality of life, how how you've addressed uh, some of these issues over the years. You were obviously a young woman um, when you were diagnosed with cancer, so uh, I imagine it did turn things upside down. And I'm still addressing them. I've I've learned to deal with them better, but there's still issues that I'm having. I I deal with vaginal dryness um, because of the radiation that I had. I also have a shortened vagina, so I had the top third of my vagina removed. So um, I only have approximately two inches left, so that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And definitely the body issues from my scar. I have a very long scar on my abdomen. I have radiation burns on um, my back and my butt, and um, they're, they're they're just different. Those those things are really difficult. It's really difficult. No matter how beautiful you feel, um, those are things that you have to explain. And even if someone tells you that you're fine and you're okay, you know that you're different. You're not the same woman that you used to be. So, what are some of the things to make it you've done to, um, to to face those issues and to address those issues? For me, actually talking about them that that was yeah. that one for me. Um, you know, a lot of people. You're, I, I think a lot of listeners will relate to this when they're at home dealing with them in silence. They're embarrassed. They don't want to talk to their doctor or or a nurse practitioner, anyone, a psychologist, yeah. anyone about it. So the first thing for me was really talking about it. It took a lot for me to mention it um, to my physician and um, seeking help, you know, because having this happen to me at such an early age, obviously I want to have a healthy sexual life after my cancer. Right, right. And so after your cancer experience did you start to date did you figure out how to you know how to talk about this um, it, how did it, it had it really come up kind of in a you know real practical sense it, um i was in a relationship dating uh, in a long term relationship when i was diagnosed mm-hmm. and it was very difficult on the relationship the relationship ultimately fell apart and so now i'm out dating again and even though I can talk about it, and I feel that I deal with it much better. There's that anxiety of telling a new partner, um, one that I, I'm, I've lost my fertility, and then hoping that they'll be patient with me because of the sexual dysfunction, and then knowing that there are extra steps that I have to deal with in order to be intimate. So I, it's still difficult. I just deal with it yeah. better. And and the um, uh, we've got a couple minutes until the break, Tamika. But um, and and dealing with that loss of of fertility has that how how have you sort of coped with that? Is that something that you feel has has that impacted your sort of sexual identity or identity as a woman? How have you uh, have have you confronted those issues? Uh, for me, when I lost my womb, um, it felt like I lost everything to me that meant that I was a woman. So it was very yeah. difficult. But I've learned that I'm still a woman. I can still be a sexual being. And um, it doesn't define who I am. Because before, it's taken these almost 10 years of survivorship to truly understand that being infertile and um, having issues because of my cancer doesn't mean that I'm not desirable. 
and you've you've arrived at that through through through, through okay. help. Therapy through is help. a wonderful therapy is a wonderful yeah. thing, and just being able to talk to other women. Yeah, through groups who have through similar groups. similar situations. Yeah, it's amazing what can happen when when a group of folks connect like that, and I think that's Absolutely. so much so much a part of what happens um, at, at the. Uh, uh, at the cancer support community. This is, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer, and today we're talking about cancer and sexuality. Um, we have a lot of topics uh, that we're going to cover today. Uh, as we said, the show is called Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and that's what we're going to be doing today, having a frank discussion about cancer and sexuality and all of the issues uh, that, that uh, an individual may face. Uh, as we know, there are many kinds of cancers and cancer treatments that are associated with sexual dysfunction, and a lot of folks... Uh, really reporting to us a lot of the issues around sexual dysfunction that they are confronting during and after um, a cancer experience. And certainly at our cancer support communities around the country, this is a topic of great interest and a topic that's, uh, that, that, that's coming up um, uh, on a fairly regular basis. So we thought that we would take some time to talk about it openly uh, on the show today. Um, this is your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Azi and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Tamika Felder, a cervical cancer survivor, Dr. Leslie Shover, a clinical psychologist, and Jennifer Sinclair, program director uh, at one of our Cancer Support Community affiliates. Today we're talking about cancer survivorship and sexuality. Um, Tamika was just sharing... Uh, very openly with us um, about her own cancer experience and how that impacted her sexuality and sexual uh, identity. Um, Jennifer, I know 
that, uh, you know, you are dealing with a lot of folks uh, with cancer in your community. Um, what, what are some of the common topics surrounding sexuality that come up when you're facilitating support groups for people affected by cancer? What are the themes? What are you hearing? Actually, I, uh, in listening to Tamika, so much of what she shared uh, sounded so familiar to what comes up in our, in our groups. Uh, really, body image still is a common topic that comes up from our members. Specifically, they talk about how the changes to their appearance has affected their self-esteem. I'm remembering comments from group members over the years who at first felt less attractive as they were adjusting to hair loss and weight gain or weight loss, swelling from lymphedema or scars from surgeries, and some of the other physical uh, concerns that Dr. Shover mentioned. Um, also, as Tamika shed some light on, some were also questioning their definition of their femininity or masculinity after yeah. treatments and surgeries. And really, something that our facilitators here keep in mind is that there's really a grieving process that happens with these losses and changes, and the topic needs to be sensitively worked through in order for the cancer survivor to rebuild his or her sense of self after cancer. Also, as discussed earlier, some treatments that affect the way the survivor's bodies react to touch uh, some change their level of desire. Uh, soon after diagnosis, it's common to hear the group members talking about their concern for survival and, and just being overwhelmed by the amount of decisions that they need to make. So therefore then the sexual desire tends to be maybe a little bit lower on their list of priorities, but it yeah. doesn't mean that it's, it's not on their minds. Um, but as a result, though, survivors might carry some guilt about that when it does come up amidst all of the other things they're going through, but they might feel too embarrassed. And again, as Tamika mentioned, you know, fearing to take that risk to bring it, bring it to light and really might not know where to start to, to address this. Yeah. And, I, you know, I do imagine it can be a very kind of sensitive and um, uncomfortable topic, uh, sometimes difficult for people to talk about. So, um, you know, what are some of the ways that you, you know, as kind of a professional, uh, uh, you know, psychologist, clinical psychologist, what are some of the ways that you facilitate um, these conversations? How do, how, do you, how do folks know that, you know, in these groups or, you know, in, at our sites, it's, it's, it's kind of a safe place mm-hmm. to talk about these things? How do you get people to open up on that? Because we hear from folks all the time, it's just not being addressed in the medical community. Right. It's not being addressed during the doctor visits. And so when folks come to our, you know, 50 sites, I know it's a place where sometimes folks feel like they can finally open up on this. Right. And that's what I've really learned, that it's on their minds more often than they're actually saying it. I think that it might be a combination of that emotional stress, the fear and guilt that I referred to, and the fact that sexuality is often a taboo subject that makes this a tough topic to bring up. Uh, The group members might allude to some of the issues, describing some of those physical changes that Dr. Shover mentioned. They might start there first since they've already developed some comfort in talking about fatigue and ports and medications and scars. But as facilitators, it's really important for us to be slightly more direct and proactive in identifying that intimacy and sexuality are also impacted by these physical changes. And normalizing this issue for survivors helps to bring the discussion a little deeper into those emotional side effects of cancer. And that's, like you said, Kim, that's really what we try to do within all groups, help to establish that safe place for survivors to share their personal experiences. And what ends up happening then is that they build trust within their group and can open up about these less talked about concerns. And do you find that, that, that somebody will say something and somebody else will say, Exactly. Oh, my exactly. gosh, I really, wanted to, I really wanted to talk right. about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. You right. Know? That's exactly what happens, yeah. Yeah. I think that connection is so important. Um, 
Dr. Shriver, how how do issues related to sexuality and quality of life differ for young cancer survivors like Tamika? I mean, you know, it's really amazing. Tamika's story is unbelievable, you know, diagnosed at 25 and uh, everything that she's been through. So, So do you see differences in your work in how these issues impact young survivors versus older cancer survivors? Well, sure, and and it depends also on relationship situations. You know, as I said, one issue for young women is that many, after chemotherapy, end up temporarily or permanently in menopause and with all the sexual problems that that brings. And also, as Tamika eloquently said, the grief about infertility. And, you know, sometimes you can be trying to enjoy having sex and all you can think about is that this is not going to result in ever being able to have a child. And that's, that can be a very distracting, you know, kind of thought and one that can make you feel really bad about yourself. For older women, one of the things that we have to remember, which is very sad as an older woman myself, is that over 40% of women over age 50 in the U.S. don't have a sexual partner. And because men tend to die younger and marry younger women and date younger women, older women often don't even have a chance to be sexual with a partner. However, for men, we certainly see a lot of interest in older men in maintaining sexual activity and a lot of distress often when they develop erection problems or have trouble with their desire for sex. Do you think men, uh, do you th- as a result of that, do you think men are more v- verbal or vocal about their sexual issues and w- more willing to kind of speak up or go to a doctor or, or get help versus women? They're more vocal about the physical side of things, as, as Jennifer was saying. They aren't always so vocal about the emotional side of things. That's where, you know, having someone who's a experienced counselor and can kind of draw people out is important. Um, and unfortunately, we have all these magical-sounding treatments for erectile dysfunction, but right. the truth is that after cancer, a very small proportion of men end up really satisfied with any of the treatments they try. Is that, is that true? That's interesting. That's a very interesting fact. Um, yes, and a lot of them just try something, doesn't work very well, or their partner isn't on board, and they just right. you know, drop it and end up very, very disappointed. It's not like the commercials on TV. Yeah, so women, women, think, women think, oh, it's probably just easier for men. They just need to go and get the little blue pill and everything will be fine, but not necessarily the case. Yeah, unfortunately, some of the problems after cancer are so, you know, severe that yeah. the pills just don't work. They aren't strong enough, and the other treatments that do work aren't so easy. Right, right, right. Um, so, so, Tamika, tell us a little bit more about your own experience and how you think about dating and how you think about um, getting involved in, you know, in an intimate relationship. Do you... Do you get to know somebody before you talk about your own experience? Do you feel like you need to get everything out up front? Do you, you know, how how do you kind of uh, approach it? Or is it different for, you know, depending upon the individual? It's, you know, I used to think, you know, I wish I had been married because it would have been easier, but I've learned from my married cancer friends that it's just Mm -hmm. as hard. Um, When I started dating again, I would say, hi, I'm Tamika, I had cervical cancer, I can't have kids, <laughs> you know. And it's not, that's not the right way to start a date, and I've just learned that. But um, very common, I always tell women, you know, not in the first five seconds, you know, get to know someone a little bit. I, I'm sitting here and literally this, this, it's interesting because this conversation 
is therapy for me today because I actually, um, I just met someone who I really, really like, mm-hmm. and he seems to really like me. And this is what my girlfriends and I were talking about. Like, when do you tell them? When do you start talking about these things? And uh, you're right. Like, it doesn't have to happen in the first five minutes. It doesn't even have to happen on the first date. You know, get to know that person. Make sure that they're going to be around and they're someone who you want to be intimate with. And so that that's what I'm doing. Doing now, you know it's and it's and it's difficult because when you like someone, you want to share your life with them and tell them everything. So I don't feel like I'm hiding anything, but I also know that I have to guard my heart because I've been on the other side of the table when I've kind of blurted it out and I told people, and it was devastating to me, you know, yeah. that they didn't yeah. want to be with me because I couldn't have children or. Um, because they weren't patient enough or understanding enough about my my condition. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and it's hard, but, I mean, it's the hand that I've been dealt, so I have to learn to deal with it. And right. thank God for programs like this so people can hear about it. Yeah, no one was yeah. talking about sexuality and cancer, at least when I was diagnosed. And that wasn't, it didn't seem like anybody was worried about it. Right, and we agree, which is why we think it's so important to talk about it today. And this, you know, could very well be the first of, of a number of shows on this topic because we think there's, there's great interest in it, and we really want to, you know, put it out there. Um, uh, Dr. Shover, we've just got a couple minutes until our break, but um, t- talk to us a little bit more about, the, about some of the issues that Tamika's alluding to about, about sexual communication. I mean, I imagine there's not a formula, okay, you should tell a person on the third date that, you know, you, you know your, your issues with your cancer, but, you know, how, how do you kind of feel your way through that process? Well, I think the most important thing is a feeling of mutual friendship. When you get to that point, then it's easier to, you know, disclose some of these things. And sometimes I ask women to think, well, suppose you met a man and then he told you he'd had prostate cancer and he can't have erections without using some kind of a treatment. Would you reject him because of that? And most women will say no. And I'll say, well, give men a chance too. You know, men aren't necessarily any more rejecting than women. And the important thing, too, is that if someone is going to reject you because of your fertility or your problems with sexuality, is that really someone you want in your life long term anyway? So it's kind of a way of weeding out the sheep and the goats. (laughs) That's a good way. That's a a good way of putting it. That is a good way of putting it. And somebody's, uh, you know, response... uh, could very well be a test of their character, um, or at least their at least their willingness to to understand it. You know, their willingness to talk about it and and, and understand it instead of just sort of rejecting it uh, uh, outright. I think could be absolutely what you're saying could be very telling about a person's uh, priorities and character. So that's an interesting way um, to think about it. But yeah, probably. Hi, I'm Tamika. I have cerebral cancer and I can't have kids. It's probably not, you know, probably not the way to go on, you know, Match.com. Right. <laughs> so we're finding the balance today, right? We're all finding yes, the balance we are. In, the, in how to do this. So uh, this is Frankly Speaking about cancer, um, and we are talking today about cancer and sexuality. Um, we have three uh, wonderful guests, and we really are freaking, uh, 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 speaking frankly today about some of these um, important issues. We are going to take a quick break right here, um, and we will be back with more discussion on cancer and sexuality. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand 
choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America business channel effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery for the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing how to handle co-workers questions how to get comfortable with new physical realities how to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed the cancer support community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the cancer support community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and we're joined by three amazing women, Dr. Leslie Shover, Tamika Felder, and Jennifer Sinclair. They've all had varied experiences with uh, cancer and sexuality as, as, as patient, as professional, uh, and today we're focusing on sexual health, an area that deserves a great level of attention when thinking about quality of life in cancer survivorship. Uh, I just want to mention that the Cancer Support Community recently launched a, a breast cancer survivor registry. Um, it's called the MAP Project. MAP stands for Mind Affects the Physical. Um, the registry is designed to better understand the social and emotional needs of breast cancer survivors. And uh, our, uh, our, our plan is uh, to expand the registry to all cancers. But an interesting finding we've come across, um, uh, we did a survey recently, and we had uh, over 1,000 women respond. Um, and one in five reported that sexual function is a severe or a very severe problem uh, in their cancer experience. This was only second to um, fatigue as an issue or a problem. So it seems that sexuality is a prominent concern when thinking about cancer survivorship, and so that's why I'm glad we're talking about it openly today. Um, I want to go to uh, to Jennifer, one of our program directors, um, uh, and I want to just build a little bit on the conversation we were having right before the break, really talking about communication um, around issues of sexuality. So, so Jennifer, in what ways... 
you try to build communication around sexuality uh, for the people with whom you work there in Pennsylvania? Well, I really think that the cancer support community's philosophy of being patient, active, extends to this area of survivorship as well. The message we want to send to our members is learn as much as you can about the way your cancer treatment may have affected your sexual health. And then as facilitators and groups, we really try to remind survivors that they can renew their sense of control and become more empowered with the knowledge that they have about themselves and their diagnosis and also remind them that intimacy is a basic human need and therefore one that they have a right to discuss. After those conversations and discussions, we really hope that they then share that information with their partners. But if they seem uncertain or intimidated by the topic but are interested in learning more, uh, to help them get started in initiating those conversations about sexuality, we'll often refer them to books and articles or even specialists in the area. We also have a list of examples that we can cover in groups for conversation starters, such as when do you feel most connected to your partner, what time of day do you feel most or least receptive to affection or intimacy, which part of your body is most sensitive to touch, which part of your body would you prefer your partner to avoid, how would Mm -hmm. you like to show your partner tenderness and affection, how would you like to show yourself how your body might be reacting to different sensations and touch and what are some alternatives for sexual intercourse. And questions like these, I think, can really help individuals start thinking about how they might want to express themselves either in a different way or ways that are still familiar and safe for them. Yeah, I think those are very good tips, Um, good kind of practical approach to some of these issues. Um, Dr. Leslie Schover, so let's, let's dive into this a little bit more. Why, so, so, you know, obviously we talk about sexuality as an important quality of life issue to talk about in, in, in cancer survivorship, and I think it was Jennifer who said, you know, a lot of times people are just so focused on their treatment, on treatment decisions, on paying for care, on survival, um, on all of those pieces that sometimes these issues of sexuality may seem less important at the time or get kind of pushed down on the list. Do you see that after folks kind of get through some of those other decisions that it starts to um, emerge as, a, as an important quality of life issue? And, and how do you see folks kind of prioritizing this? Well, definitely. You know, I think that it commonly is something that may kind of come to the fore in the first year or so, you know, after the period of active treatment when you're trying to find your new normal. But for some people, it's a major factor in their decision about what kind of treatment to have, either preserving their sexuality or their fertility. So, you know, it's different for everyone. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking as Tamika was talking is that for all of our minority communities in the U.S., whether it's African American, Hispanic, Asian, sexuality tends to be an even more private and taboo topic. So it's even more difficult to bring up. I was just looking at some data we have. We have 33 interviews with young African American breast cancer survivors, and 73% of them didn't recall their doctors ever discussing sex with them. And Mm. that's just extremely high. I mean, it's Usually bad, but not that bad. So, you know, that's another barrier that we sometimes have to overcome. But the problem is that a lot of problems that you have at the time of your diagnosis, like fear of the future, fear of, of, of death, fear of recurrence and yeah. depression, 
they go away if your treatment is successful over the first year. But sexual problems don't go away unless yeah. you treat them. They just stick around. Tamika, did anybody talk to you, anybody in the medical community, when you're no. being treated, diagnosed, did anybody talk to you about sexual issues? No. And um, I, I think, I know it sounds probably very stupid, but I think even having part of my vagina removed, I didn't think it would be the way that it is, that I would have this much issue. There's constant pain. There, um, you know, the atrophy, if, if you don't use it, you you lose it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. the only way I can say it. Like, you know, um, the conversation, I'm sure it's hard on the doctors, but it, it has to be had. And it's definitely embarrassing for the patient, but it's a conversation that really, really needs to be had. Like, I didn't get dilators. Um, now, almost 10 years later, I'm going back and asking about them. No one mentioned that to me. I found out from another survivor like especially if you're single and you're going through that yes those are things that you you need to know so when i reach out to other survivors i tell them you know if you're asking about the scope of treatment you also need to ask about the effects you know and yeah. sexuality is one of them that needs to be on the table that you're talking about yeah um, not only okay. that, but, you know, I just want to point out that the yes. combination of radiation and radical hysterectomy is like a double whammy. Yeah. So if you just had the surgery, the vagina can stretch and compensate some, but when you've got that combination, it's especially difficult. Yeah, yeah. And I think everybody needs someone like you, Dr. Shover, to kind of be their wingman almost or wingwoman. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be your new nickname, Dr. Shover, Wingwoman. Wingwoman. <laughs> I'm like, where was Dr. Shover? I needed to know about her. <laughs> that I love it. I love it. Dr. Shover, Wingwoman. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great nickname. But well, I've I, been I, fighting I, for this for 30 years. Yeah, I know you have, Dr. Shover. And are you seeing any? Um, uh, we know you're a pioneer in, in, in this. Have you Have you been seeing an, an improvement? In this, have you been seeing a greater willingness to talk about it? Are more doctors bringing it up? If the patient brings it up, are more doctors willing to talk about it and help patients address it? Or is the needle moving? A little bit. But, you know, you compare the explosion of interest in infertility in the last 10 years, not that it's not important, but so many fewer of our cancer patients are in a childbearing age range. It was so much easier to get funding and attention for infertility than it's been for sexuality. I think there's still a, a, a real issue of conservative, you know, ness in our country in talking about these things. Yeah, yeah. And so, Tamika, when and where and how did you decide to, to bring this up and, 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 and start to uh, address it? When did you really start to realize that this is going to be an important issue in your quality of life? I, I, it was out of frustration, and it was the yeah. best thing for me. It was, you know, my boyfriend is unhappy. At the time, I thought he was the person that I was going to marry, and, mm -hmm. you know, he turned out to be, you know, not, not the person, um, but... I really, I finally went into the doctor and I said, look, you know, I'm trying to have sexual relationships. It's, 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 it's just not working. It's painful. It's frustrating. And Dr. Shover, it's exactly what you mentioned before. When your mind is racing and you're thinking that 
us being intimate together won't result in a baby, or I wonder if he's enjoying it because I'm not enjoying it, then he stops because he doesn't want to hurt me. He's like, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. And then it becomes a sexless relationship. It's very difficult, and it was very hard for me. I actually wrote a letter to my doctor. And I did it via email. And I said, I'm coming to talk to you about this at my next visit, but just in case I chicken out, here it is in the email form. And, you know, he emailed me back, and we discussed things via email before I got there. And, um, but it was very hard for me to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's intense issues. Um, Jennifer, before we go to the break, I, you know, I know we were, we're talking about the impact on patients, but I know, we're, you know, we serve caregivers as well at the cancer support community. What are, what are some of the unique issues around sexuality that come up when, when you're working with the caregivers? Right. Uh, some partners may be afraid of how their loved one might respond to their touch or, like Tamika mentioned in, in her last uh, piece there, they might even be afraid of hurting their loved one during sex. I think mm-hmm. for the most part, caregivers really want to be careful and sensitive to those needs. Uh, but at the same time, they can really miss that sense of closeness and intimacy at those levels and but are afraid to offend or maybe do the wrong thing. A common yeah. question that I hear um, from them is is a concern of just how to express what questions they even have and, and their concerns and just how to help reassure their loved one. Sometimes they might say things like, oh, you look fine to me, or the scars don't matter, or we can go at your pace, but, um, but really I don't care about that. And even though these comments are said with good intentions in an effort right. to reassure, right. what can happen is that the survivors feel like they're being stifled or maybe that their feelings are being minimized because those scars might mean something to them. Um, they right. might care about those changes. They might be in pain. They might be concerned, and unfortunately, they might feel dismissed, if, and the caregiver then is left feeling confused and not knowing what to do. And both right. sides of those feelings can be very isolating for both which is, again, why, you know, going back to communication, it's so important for the partners to talk honestly so they can uncover those misunderstandings and misconceptions. On the other side, I, I want to mention, too, though, that many caregivers have described to me feeling even closer to their partners after a cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which can then translate into an increased desire for affection. I'm remembering a caregiver in particular a few years ago who described how she and her husband dealt with the emotional and physical changes after his cancer diagnosis. And she said that simply lying next to him in bed and just using gentle touch and some light massage felt most comfortable to them during times when actual sexual intercourse wasn't possible. So, again, together through talking, I really hope that other couples can redefine ways to express that sexuality and those needs. Well said. Well said, Jennifer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about cancer and sexuality. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Tamika Felder, a cervical cancer survivor, Dr. Leslie Schober, a clinical psychologist, and Jennifer Sinclair, Program Director at the Cancer Support Community in Greater Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Um, we are talking today about sexuality and cancer. Uh, Jennifer, I want to go back um, and just have you just take a moment to highlight some of the programs that um, our cancer support communities are offering individuals and couples to, to help them address sexuality and cancer. Um, uh, for example, I know that you're running the Cancer Transitions Program there in, uh, in Lehigh Valley. How, how are these programs um, being run and how are they encouraging this conversation? Right. Uh, sure. There, I know there have been many programs across the cancer support community network that have focused on this. And again, specifically the Cancer Transitions Moving Beyond Treatment series that was designed by Cancer Support Community in partnership with Livestrong. Um, the goal of that series is to help cancer survivors take charge of their life after treatment in a way that promotes long-term health. So in addition to the topics of exercise, nutrition, and medical management, the topic of sexuality is also highlighted within that program. And I'm, I'm, I was pleased to see that when we first ran that program. We've offered it twice at our affiliate and are currently running it now this winter. And at those sessions, I've really been intrigued by the amount of discussion that comes up during that session. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole uh, workshop workbook uh, set of questions and, and to address the top topic specifically, and I think that the members really appreciate that because they might start off with feeling very insecure and worried, yeah. but then they have a chance to really air that and vent that yeah. and then hear how others feel the same way. And as Tamika mentioned, just talking about it has, has been really her therapy. And right. I've seen that members tend to leave that session with an action plan so that they continue to deal with this issue uh, through those workbook exercises and and just, you know, continuing to make those connections and know that they're not alone and so that it doesn't go unresolved and unspoken. I know that other affiliates have included some really creative programs to address this issue for couples. They've done Valentine date nights, Ask the Expert nights, and uh, some have specific monthly networking groups for couples. 
Some of us also host the American Cancer Society's Look Good, Feel Better workshop. That's been quite helpful. Uh, the Caring and Coping and Finding Strength Together workshops that many of us conducted. I think the topic yes. of sexuality can also come up there, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Tamika talked about the importance of, you know, really having a place where you can talk about this and connect with others, and we just want to emphasize for folks that we've got, you know, 50 affiliates around the country where these programs um, and initiatives are offered for free for uh, all people uh, with cancer and for their family members, loved ones, spouses. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll give some folks at the end of the show information about where they can find out about those, um, about those sites. We are, um, unfortunately, moving towards the end of the show, um, so I just want to ask a few final questions uh, of our, uh, our wonderful guests um, today. Tamika, I want to kind of ask you, combine a couple of questions. Um, I want to ask what advice you would give to someone who's recently been diagnosed with cancer and has some concerns about their their uh, their sexual health, considering everything that you've been through um, on this front. I'd love to hear what advice you might have for folks, and I'd also love for you to share with folks your advocacy work that you're doing to help inform young people uh, about these issues. To speak up, um, say something. Not, I don't want to say it's too late after the cancer treatment, but you definitely want to have that conversation with your healthcare provider before the treatment so that you and your physician have a plan moving forward. Definitely um, seek therapy. Seek the help of a social worker, a psychologist, a therapist, someone to help because it is a big part of what you're going to be going through. Um, That's why I talk to a lot of women and men now, especially single cancer, single and young adult cancer patients, because I think it's very hard to find yourself dating again after cancer. Um, We have one patient um, who, I mean, my heart just breaks for them. When I think my situation is bad, their situation is worse. So there are a lot Mm -hmm. of people out there who sexually are not happy. And you, you can have good sex after cancer, but you have to open up your mouth and be willing to be a part of the discussion. Um, that's that's a big chunk of who I am as an advocate for sexual yes. health after cancer. Good for you. Good for you. Um, Dr. Shover, I know you're involved in various research projects. Um, t- tell us a little bit about your new Internet counseling program called... Um, called tendrils, and then the other question uh, uh, that I pose to you is also as we wrap up, what advice you would give to someone who's recently diagnosed with cancer and has questions about their sexual health? Well, I'm really excited about tendrils. We have a small business grant from the National Cancer Institute to develop it, and, and it's now in its fourth year, and we're, we're actually doing a, a trial to see if it hopefully helps people, but it's a, a very sophisticated website for all cancer sites, anywhere from someone at risk for cancer to a long-term survivor, and it gives lots of information about different kinds of cancer treatments, their impact on sex, but even more importantly, it gives advice on self-help, how to overcome problems like low desire and pain, and how to get appropriate medical help. And it also includes interviews with 11 cancer survivors, and we filmed some vignettes with actors to illustrate things like how to communicate with your doctor or your partner. 
so it's really very comprehensive. And the reason I did that is just what we've talked about today, that even after 30 years, I still don't see enough trained health professionals. Insurance doesn't cover the mental health part of these services very well. And outside of a major city or a major cancer center, it's really hard to find this information. And we're working on a similar project for men um, called Second Manhood. Nice, nice. Uh, advice, Dr. Sherbert, for someone who's been diagnosed and, and really has questions about this. And I think, I, you know, I appreciate what Tamika said, too. Don't wait. You know, bring these issues up early. Bring these questions up, you know, early at the, at the, at the point of diagnosis. You have the right to ask these questions early on in your cancer experience and understand what the impact is going to be and, and how you can deal with that. Absolutely. And I would add, don't be discouraged if you get a negative response from someone in your healthcare team because everybody grows up with all these taboos about sex. And I can't count how many times patients told me that they asked about these problems and their doctor said, you should be glad you're alive. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful, but there's also quality of life and you right. do have a right to get help. So sometimes it takes some efforts to find a specialist who knows how to help, and um, you know, you, and also the importance of talking with your partner cannot be overemphasized. I, I think that's the most crucial part of sexual rehabilitation: is open communication, the willingness yeah. to try some new things. So you can be alive but not really living. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah. So it's, it really is a matter of understanding all of these quality of life issues and getting them addressed. Um, a quick. Uh, just a quick minute, Jennifer, final tips, uh, advice for those who are listening today. I think, again, just to reiterate, do, you know, do their own seeking of some information, whether it's online or coming to a group or seeking out counseling themselves, and just to acknowledge that it is an important topic and there are others that can really show a sense of understanding that might be uncomfortable to seek out at other places. Yeah, yeah, this is... Um really been an amazing conversation. I want to thank uh, our three guests, Tamika Felder, Dr. Leslie Shover, and Jennifer Sinclair. Um, you guys have been terrific, and, and um, I think some very helpful dialogues and very helpful tips about what to do if you've been diagnosed with cancer, particularly as it relates to your sexual uh, health. I, I uh, especially would like to thank uh, Tamika. You've been so kind of open and honest about your story, and I know these can be difficult issues, and I just appreciate um, how open you are, um, not only on the show today, but in all the support and advocacy work that you're doing out there in the community and helping to inform young people um, about cancer and sexuality and helping people understand their rights and their right to not only good cancer treatment and good cancer care, but their right to a good quality of life um, through uh, and beyond cancer treatment. So um, I I thank all of you for, for being here today. Um, just a, a couple of quick closing comments. I mentioned earlier in the show that the cancer support community launched a breast cancer survivor registry called MAP, uh, M-A-P, which stands for Mind, Affects the Physical. Um, the registry is designed to better understand the social and emotional needs of breast cancer survivors, and it is our goal and hope, um, and maybe it's a good good plug for some funding, um, our goal and hope to uh, raise some additional funding so we can expand the registry to all cancers. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to let folks know about that. If you want to find out more about the registry, if you want to sign in, register, participate, you can go to breastcancerregistry.org. Um, I, uh, we also mentioned the Cancer Transitions uh, Program, Moving Beyond Treatment. It's a program that we uh, have developed in partnership with the Lance Armstrong Foundation, Live Strong, 
It's an evidence-based program for cancer survivors. We talk about exercise, nutrition, emotional support, medical management, um, and, uh, of course, issues of sexuality, all of the core issues that cancer survivors are, are facing. Um, please visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find these programs, also to learn about our wonderful 50 affiliates across the country, and, and Jennifer's there in uh, Lehigh Valley in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We've got 50 sites across the country, or call us at 888-793-9355 for more information about us um, and our free programs and services for people with all cancers. Um, thanks for uh, uh, joining us for the show today. Thank our wonderful guests. Um, we want to dedicate today's show to the sexual health and well-being of all people touched by cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support